last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast, as well as some older stuff that obliterated Nate or was a little bit naughty. But don't let us stop you from stating the obvious, Nate. Darwin Thompson over Damian Williams in a fucking dynasty startup quit fantasy football forever. And... Yeah, Nick, that's right. Yeah, Ronald Jones, I'm with you, baby. Let's go. To be fair, I can't see anything Nick posts. And in warm-ups, you would have thought I was better. Then the game started. and I, <laughs> The lights came on. The lights came on, and this guy was just fucking deadly. So you were Ken Brawl Tompkins last night then. Yeah, I had a great camp. And he's like the Kevin Durant of NFL running backs. Except he's not good. <laughs> Except that whole problem where he's not good at the sport he chose. Except that problem. And in the history of wide receivers, Matt Waldman has never seen a more talented player than fourth rounder Hakeem Butler. And if you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once, you would know all these things! What? Me? And I want my coffee to taste like coffee and just let the black coffee wash over you. It's so delicious. And uh, Bezos. Ah, that's all right. He'll fix her up. What's wrong with you? And Nate somehow decides that this is the line he's going to draw. He's going to protect Jessica Simpson. <laughs> Since when? She's gone through so many changes. And. Was that Kirsten Dunst's dream a wet dream? <laughs> no, it wasn't a wet dream. Thank you very much. I have had a wet dream once when I was 15. I woke up and I was having sex with my pillow. This fucking show has no boundaries. And Okay, that time you definitely said dick. But the problem is it's always getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, God, when it's just this monster. And Todd Haley and his wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all. And. Was I relating that to something sexual? It's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as usual, is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Matt, what is the good word this evening? A crime has been committed, Nate. A crime has been committed. Oh, man. I wish I could play that sound effect. That dun, dun, dun. I'm going to play the Law & Order sound effect. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, that one's good, too. Thank you very much, because that's what I do. I am the master of ceremonies here at the Sonic Truth Podcast. And as I stated, a crime has been committed. What crime has been committed, Matt? The Roto Underworld Farts and Boners Dynasty Startup. Launched in May, patrons only. If you want to be part of a dynasty startup, go to patreon.com forward slash podfather, and I may join. I joined this one, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't draft 
this wide receiver earlier, and 11 other Roto Underworld diehards also refused to draft this wide receiver earlier. Granted, it's two quarterback. Granted, it's two tight end. But there is no excuse. There is no excuse for Julian Edelman Mm. falling to slot 126 in a dynasty startup. That is a crime. I mean, these are the best of the best listeners. These people get the show. They understand advanced metrics, and yet they refuse to push the button on Julian Edelman. Now, I would have drafted Julian Edelman with the eighth pick in the 11th round. I was prepared to draft him, but he was drafted two slots ahead of me. I could not get him. I was stuck with Dante Pettis. I think it's fine, but I would prefer Julian Edelman. How the hell did Julian Edelman fall outside the top 120 players? Mm, 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 mm. Uh, ageist. Matt, he's 33 years old, so you know how that goes. People uh, don't want the 33-year-old wide receiver, but there was no reason not to like Julian Edelman. I mean, even on just 108 targets last year, 74 receptions in 12 games. In 12 games. So he was on pace for essentially 100 receptions. Yep, just like he was the last year before it. I mean, he had 98 catches in 2006. Well, excuse me, 2016, you know, pre-injury. I had him fall that far in a startup as well. There's just this. Are you the one that stepped into the breach? You did, right? Yeah, but I grabbed him. I grabbed him late also. I think I might have grabbed him in the, honestly, the 13th round. I mean, it was bad. What? It was very late. But this is, this is 2017. So this is a year after, or 2018. So it's a year after he missed a year. But last year... 2.9 yards after the catch per target. He still has the juice. He's not running routes downfield. So the yards per reception, the average target distance is not in the upper half of the league, but his yards after the catch were in the top 30 despite only playing 12 games. I think he still has it. He's a late bloomer. It's the late bloomer rule. The reason we like Adam Thielen is because of the Julian Edelman corollary. The late bloomer wide receiver has more juice later in his career. Look, Julian Edelman is doing exactly the same thing at 32, 33 that he was doing at 26, 27. 10 yards per reception, mid to high 60, you know, percent receiving percentage, volume receiver. His role hasn't changed. Wide receiver one. He was a top 12 wide receiver in fantasy football. A top 12 wide receiver should not go in the 11th round of a dynasty startup. There are 12 teams, Nate. That means, on average, teams win a championship every 12 years. So you are incentivized to play for this year and win this year because most leagues do not exist for 12 years. So you need to win the championships when they're available before the league disbands. I just don't get it, man. Julian Edelman looks primed for another wide receiver one season. He's now a year removed from the torn ACL. There is no Rob Gronkowski, so there's even less target competition even after the Patriots drafted Nikhil Harry. You have Philip Dorsett stretching the field, creating more room underneath, and it's going to be the Tom Brady to Julian Edelman show in New England again. Who doubts this? And that guy, 17-plus points per game available in the 11th round? Everyone in this draft room should have been embarrassed, including the Podfather, for letting it happen. Because I drafted Mike Williams the round prior, and I only drafted Mike Williams expecting to trade him. 
I drafted Mike Williams knowing his valuation across the dynasty community, that his ADP is higher than Julian Edelman's, and I can get more for him in trade, especially if he produces in week one, than I can ever get for Julian Edelman. So that was the calculus that ran through my head, but I still feel bad about it. I still feel ashamed that I let Julian Edelman slip through my fingers because I felt genuinely sniped there. He was two picks away from me. These were the players over the past couple of years that if you were in dynasty startup drafts or if you were competitive teams looking to add depth, you were looking for the Larry Fitzgeralds. You were looking for the Julian Edelmans. A few years ago, it was the Vincent Jackson types. These guys that were proven over their career that were towards the end, that were still getting it done, that most guys that had owned them for a period of time knew they weren't going to get anything significant for him. I mean, if you own Julian Edelman right now, what's the best you can expect for him? No, I don't want to trade Julian Edelman. I want to win with Julian Edelman. Right. Five picks earlier, Marvin Jones was taken off the board. Those are the two wide receivers I wanted because they will give me the best chance to win. Marvin Jones will be productive a year from now as well. Marvin Jones, Adam Thielen, and Julian Edelman, those are the three wide receivers that are past the AJ packs that I want to acquire in Dynasty Leagues. So in past shows, we've talked about Darwin Thompson. We talked to Izzy Elkafas about Darwin Thompson, that he's overrated. And on cue, Matt Waldman comes out with the following. Trolling us at this point. Matt Waldman must listen to this show. He has to. He has to. He said Darwin Thompson is a stronger Tariq Cohen. While not quite the vertical receiving threat, he has excellent quicks, contact balance, and all caps strength. This guy is like Deion Lewis with thump. He can develop into a focal point running back in the right scheme. This guy is all in on anyone in this backfield not named Damian Williams. The fact that Damian Williams sits on top of this depth chart and is prime for an RB1 season, just like Julian Edelman's prime for a wide receiver one season, is driving Matt Waldman insane. (laughs) He even believes that Carlos Hyde is more talented than Damian Williams. He tweeted that yesterday. It never stops with the sky. It's just reverse engineered analysis to discredit and dismiss Damian Williams. It's so transparent, and yet I'm still enraged by it. Matt Waldman is getting under my skin. Don't let him get under your skin, Matt. Don't let him do it. Look, first off, boy, there's just so many reasons why I'm not... Look, I like Darwin Thompson for the fact that he's got the athleticism, right? He's got the agility. He's got the burst. I like that. Yeah, he's explosive, but he's not fast. Right, and Damian Williams is clearly the back to own. And let's also not forget, this is a Mountain West Conference player with one year of production, and somehow he gets compared to Tariq Cohen, who's a rare player in this league. There's very few guys that are capable of doing what Cohen is doing. So that's lofty expectations. It's not just Tariq Cohen. He's he's a stronger Deion Lewis. Oh, yeah, and there's the other one. He's a stronger Tariq Cohen, and... He has great contact balance. No, no, just to summarize, he has great contact balance. I don't know what that is. That's a made-up trait. And he's stronger than Tariq Cohen and more powerful than Deion Lewis. (laughs) It's interesting, too, that he gets compared to Deion Lewis, who freshman, sophomore year was a monster at Pitt. A monster. Yeah, a monster producer. He produced... Far beyond anything that Darwin Thompson has ever done. By the way, Darwin Thompson was part of a committee 
the touches were split down the middle at Utah State. We're talking about a Mountain Whack committee back. I, I will say this, and I'm sure that you agree, at least in this sense. I think for this year, Damian Williams is a lock for RB1 production. I think we agree. And I can see KC carrying him over. Damian Williams is going too late in Dynasty startups, just like Julian Edelman is going too late in Dynasty startups. You can do whatever you want in all the other rounds. Just reserve a space on your team for Damian Williams, reserve a space on your team for Julian Edelman, and go win the title this year. And you can fuck around with, with as many other young players as you want. Yeah, Waldman's, uh, Waldman's on one. I mean, we we saw it. I know Damian Williams doesn't have a, a big track history thus far, but we saw him playing some big spots last year. The playoffs had a big game, regular season, big game. And he's also explosive. And he fits this offense. He is exactly what KC is looking for in a running back. I mean, 100%. He is dead on exactly what they're looking for. And I, I believe he's going to replace production that's come before him. And uh, I don't believe that there's necessarily a running back on this roster that's going to push him. I do like Carlos Hyde for the type of runner that he is, but I don't foresee him even pushing Damian Williams. You know, he's going to be that that spell back that comes in. He's a, he's a yards after contact guy. He does have a history of receptions. I think he had 59 catches one year. But this is going to be Damian Williams' backfield. Yeah, on a league bottom catch rate that season in San Francisco. Damian Williams has a 113.2 95th percentile speed score, and he's one of the strongest receivers at the running back position in the NFL. So go ahead and list the 220-pound running backs that run a sub-4-5 that are target magnets in the passing game. Go ahead and list those running backs. Go ahead. Try. It's Saquon Barkley, (laughs) right? I mean, you got Saquon Barkley, David Johnson, and then... It starts to become a struggle. That's how good Damian Williams is. But he went undrafted because he was a knucklehead in college, and that alone will lead some to practice confirmation bias and go reverse engineer some argument in favor of every other running back on that depth chart. And it's just nonsense. Draft Damian Williams, draft Julian Edelman in Dynasty, and do it on Sleeper. Sleeper is the new dynasty platform of choice for the podfather because i love the mobile user experience it's so slick and so easy you think oh well it's fine i can make ad drops and trades on my phone with the platform i currently use it's not a problem but i didn't say it's a problem i didn't say your current platform is a problem my point is that when you go and draft on sleeper it's a revelation It's like, oh, this is what life could be like. Oh, I see. I could never conceptualize how slick and easy playing fantasy football on my phone could be until Sleeper came along. Like, you just don't know because you haven't tried it. And you can try it for free, so why not go to the App Store or Google Play and just type in Sleeper and download it to your phone and check it out. You can join a free league and quickly realize, oh, wow, this is the best fantasy football platform in the world. It's not close. And I'm immediately going to move my Dynasty League or start a brand new Dynasty League on Sleeper. The future patron leagues that we'll be starting on patreon.com forward slash podfather, guess what? They're going to be on Sleeper moving forward. I've had it. I've had it with the Dynasty platforms with the settings that are written in a foreign language. It is impossible to configure your league if you can't figure out the settings. 
everything is so straightforward on Sleeper, and everything is just bing, 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 bing. It's great. It's a real pleasure. And it's also integrated with their news system. The Sleeper news feed is the fastest, most comprehensive news feed in the business. And what makes it particularly powerful is the integration with the fantasy platform itself, prompting you to make moves. It's just the future. Go to the App Store, type in Sleeper, download it, get it, do it. You're welcome. So in that last show with Izzy, we talked about Joe Mixon, how even though the Bengals drafted two running backs that we like, Travion Williams, Rodney Anderson especially, top 10 talents at the position, both went to the Bengals, that he wasn't actually a loser at all, that that was just value depth, and the Bengals were just taking best player available, and the most important draft pick was the elite tackle they drafted in the first round. That should be the focus. But there were a few running backs that were just so crippled by the NFL draft that in some cases, a quality player that I was excited to roster a year ago is now borderline droppable. Some of these wide receivers, especially that lost to the NFL draft and lost big time, I'm considering dropping them and it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking, Nate. The first one is Taewon Taylor. The Tennessee Titans go and sign Adam Humphreys to a bloated contract that he will never fulfill. He signed the equivalent of the Paul Richardson contract this offseason. Then they draft arguably the best receiver in this class, A.J. Brown. And they already have Corey Davis, who was the starting receiver on the outside. I was expecting this to be the year that Taewon Taylor breaks through. But now he's the fourth receiver on the team, the fourth receiver on a run-oriented offense. Should I continue to roster Taewon Taylor? Oh, man. Oh, man. I like him, man. This is a scary thing. Let's go over some of the important points here. For starters, last year, um, Mariota was number 28 in pass attempts, and overall, the Titans were number 31. So right off the bat, opportunity is limited in Tennessee. Then you've got Corey Davis, who's your ex receiver. And although he hasn't been a world beater yet, this is a guy that came from a smaller school. So maybe the the breakout is going to be a little later with a guy like this. But like you said, they go draft A.J. Brown, arguably the highest floor in this whole class, a sure shot to be a producer right away. They add Adam Humphreys. You've got Jonu Smith. You've got Delaney Walker. Where is the room for Taewon Taylor? I, I don't think there is without injury. Deion Lewis. Deion Lewis. This team has some of the best weaponry in the league that no one talks about. And a resurgence for Derrick Henry. They're going to want to put the ball in his hands. They want to see if they've got the player that they saw come on last year. And I just don't know when your team ranks number 31 in the league in pass attempts, if you're the fourth or fifth option, sixth option in the pass game, uh, I just don't see it in Tennessee. It's going to take injuries, and I just don't know that uh, there's going to be enough to make him a startable player. He looks like a more explosive Doug Baldwin. The upper percentile agility, he has good burst, speed. He's that slot receiver with stature that we like, 5'11", 203. He was a mega producer at Western Kentucky, a small school, but consistently over 17 yards per reception. Just dominant. I can't drop him. I refuse to drop him. I've been tempted to drop him. I will not drop him. In a vacuum, his talent is too good, even though he's the most buried wide receiver in the league. Without a doubt. So you just have to slot him in with your final taxi squad spot and refuse to drop him. Just maintain conviction. This is why we have the truther status. He qualifies for truther status, 
And if you are a genuine truther, then you believe. You have conviction, even at the darkest moments. And here's the other issue. I know you remember this. There was plenty of games where Tajay Sharp was getting a ton of targets and Taewon Taylor wasn't being targeted whatsoever. He was playing behind Tajay Sharp. Now, Tajay's been you know, usurped by A.J. Brown and Adam Humphreys and Delaney coming back and Jonu coming on. I, I mean, it's just... I'm with you. It, it may not be in Tennessee where we see Taewon Taylor really shine. I just I don't know that it's going to be on this roster. At the end of the season, he had seven targets in week 14, six targets in week 17. So he closed out the season relatively strong, but the target volume was inconsistent. The offense was inconsistent, and this team doesn't believe in him. This team does not appreciate what they have in Taewon Taylor. And with players like this, sometimes they don't break out until they land on their second team. That's just how it goes. What about David Moore in Seattle? David Moore broke out last year, and you hear very little about him from Seattle beat writers, but he is the one receiver with any experience that has any size. Now, I know they have DK Metcalf, but other than DK Metcalf, who else can play on the outside besides David Moore? Especially if the plan is to move Tyler Lockett into the slot to play the Doug Baldwin role one for one. If DK Metcalf doesn't fire as a rookie, the de facto starting outside receiver is actually David Moore. And he's best comparable to Michael Floyd. Like he can play X. He can do it. So here's what I've heard um, from the beat writers in Seattle. The, The plan right now is David Moore is sitting in the fourth wide receiver spot in Seattle. What? He's behind DK Metcalf. Gary Jennings, and Tyler Lockett. And the plan... Stop it. Stop it. They're penciling in two rookies ahead of him. And the plan is to split time... After he was one of the most successful rookies last year? You've seen him do it before in Seattle. What has happened is the plan is that Tyler Lockett is too effective on the outside. So the plan is for him and Gary Jennings to split time inside and outside. So you're going to see Lockett in the slot sometimes, and when he goes into the slot, you're going to see Jennings outside and vice versa. And that's the plan going forward. Now I'm with you. If DK Metcalf is playing inconsistently on the outside, I believe Seattle's still going to give him opportunities. But we could see David Moore you know, get some run ahead of DK Metcalf. I mean, I've seen some clips come out. DK's doing some things well, and he does some things choppy. I mean, it, there was a clip that Davis Maddock put out the other day. The deep comeback where he took 17 steps. Yes. Look, it's he, he's he's working through some things right now. They got to get those cameras out of there. Every route is a Rorschach test. Look, <laughs> some people look at that and they think, oh, wow, look at that. What a great route. Other people look at that and go, that's a terrible route. That's film grinding. Nobody knows. It's subjective. Yes, exactly. And I think part of it for Seattle is finding out what he does well right now. We know he can run a go route. We know that a 230-pound guy running 4-3-3 straight at you is going to be hard to keep up with. But what else can he do? So for now in Seattle, I, I think we're looking at the big play opportunity. I Obviously, David Moore is a, a more polished, more versatile receiver at this point in his career. I think we agree that DK Metcalf could be something special. But I'm with you on the fact that if DK isn't firing right away and Seattle is wanting to win now, they're going to put the best players in place. And there's a chance that we would see David Moore come on the field despite the draft capital invested in DK Metcalf. I think there's a lot better chance that that David Moore produces this year than Taewon Taylor. I 100% agree. It's sad but true. Without a doubt. Now there's wide receivers that did lose in the draft but are still considered winners because... The wide receivers that were acquired are 
rookies, just like DK Metcalf. And these players project to play starting roles for their respective offenses. I'm thinking of Dante Pettis. I'm thinking of Christian Kirk. These are players you would actually consider buying after their teams drafted wide receivers in the second round, right? Yeah, I think we've talked about Christian Kirk in Arizona. We both like him. We both like Andy Isabella over there as well. But Kirk is the guy that has the most experience besides Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona. Now, that may all be out the window with a new coach and a new quarterback and a new philosophy. I don't know. But we know that Christian Kirk coming out of college was an extremely polished wide receiver. He's a fast wide receiver. He's undersized, which many of the receivers there are, aside from Hakeem Bustler, as you've called him. But I'm a fan of of Christian Kirk. I'm still buying, despite what they've done there. The question is... Oh, yeah. I think this is the perfect buying opportunity for Christian Kirk. As much as I love Andy Isabella and hate Hakeem Butler. Just kidding. I love you, Hakeem Butler. I don't hate players. I hate ADPs. Sets up perfectly for Christian Kirk this year because this offense is going to be wide open. Apparently, David Johnson is questioning his own conditioning because of how many plays Cliff Kingsbury wants to run. Cliff Kingsbury wants to set the NFL record for plays run per game. David Johnson is not going to be able to be part of every personnel grouping. What does that mean? Chase Edmonds. Yeah. Running back from Fordham. Yes. Is going to get snaps. He's going to get touches in this offense because there's no way you can have David Johnson out there for 90 snaps. Still don't know where Fordham is, but go Chase Edmonds. Yeah. So there's a case for Chase Edmonds. If that offense is indeed the most wide-open system in NFL history and Kyler Murray takes 100% of his snaps from shotgun and they throw the ball 70% of the time and they're always in hurry-up mode trying to call 100 plays a game, then Christian Kirk has to be the best value wide receiver in all of fantasy football. Dynasty, seasonal leagues, doesn't matter. Get Christian Kirk. I mean, I guess you got to assume that going into this year that Christian Kirk is probably looking at right around 100 targets. I mean, I'm curious how they're going to split these targets up going into this year. But last year, he had 68. you got to believe there's going to be a significant bump there in this new offense, especially an offense that plans to run as many plays as they do. And Christian Kirk is going to be that short area wide receiver, that guy that's going to be gobbling up those easy targets And I I believe Andy Isabella, I think they're going to use him a lot more in the deep game. I realize he's versatile as well, but that speed is blazing. Oh, yeah. They want Andy Isabella on the outside, stretching the field, creating room for Kirk and Fitzgerald underneath. It just makes too much sense. Now, the final wide receiver that received target competition in the NFL draft that no one talks about is T.Y. Hilton. The Colts drafted Paris Campbell. And up until this point, T.Y. Hilton has been that queen chess piece wide receiver in that Colts passing game they move him all around the formation they put him outside run him deep they kick him inside run him underneath that's how T.Y. Hilton has been T.Y. Hilton over the years that's how you lead the NFL in receiving yards because you get fed in all quadrants of the football field so Antonio Brown did it but now Paris Campbell is there and that means less shifting around the formation for T.Y. Hilton because the Colts don't need his versatility as much with Paris Campbell on the field. And does that mean less targets for T.Y. Hilton? I don't know that it means less targets necessarily. I I think it's fair to assume. So he played 14 games last year, had 120 targets. I think likely T.Y. Hilton falls in that range again, but over 16 games. 
I don't think you're going to see 145 targets for T.Y. Hilton in this offense. But let's also remember, last year, there was nobody on the outside to help T.Y. Hilton. He was, with the exception of Eric Ebron at times, the focal point of this offense. Game in and game out, it was T.Y. Hilton. You knew who you were covering. What about Ryan Grant? What about Chester Rogers? Yeah, right. They're okay. That's the point. So you add the speed of Paris Campbell. You add Funchess' ability. Devin Funchess bullying number one cornerbacks on the outside. So he may not see a jump in target share, but he's certainly going to get more opportunity to find space in this offense. And remember, the Colts last year were number two in pass attempts. That's not going away anytime soon. Their identity is to throw the football. And Marlon Mack looked good last year, so he's going to be a focal point too. But I'm not concerned about the addition of Paris Campbell. I think Paris Campbell's got some growing to do, even though we both like him. I think he's a very explosive playmaker, and they're going to want to design plays to get the ball in his hands early. But I think T.Y. Hilton will always have his role in this offense, and I believe he's a bet for 120 targets again next year. So the transition will be fairly seamless with Paris Campbell eventually taking over a lot of that T.Y. Hilton route tree. But this year, it's not a concern. At running back... We know Josh Adams is dead. Dead. Josh Adams had the starting role. Josh Adams has died. The Eagles acquired Jordan Howard to compete with him in the grinder role, and then they went ahead and drafted Miles Sanders. I mean, no running back technically lost more value this offseason than Josh Adams. Maybe Mike Davis, because Mike Davis was signed to what looked to be an inflated contract. Oh, $6 million, but only $1 million of it actually guaranteed. And then the team goes out and drafts. David Montgomery in the third round and vaporizes Mike Davis's fantasy stock. Jamal Williams. I mean, Jamal Williams is no different than Mike Davis and Josh Adams, except for the fact that he's worse. I mean, I'd rather have Josh Adams and Mike Davis on my team than Jamal Williams. Wouldn't you? Uh, I guess. I mean, here, here's the issue. I, I don't like Jamal Williams as much as I like Josh Adams and Mike Davis, but I think that reading what some of the beat writers for the Eagles are saying, there's rumor that Josh Adams doesn't even make this roster. He's currently slotted as the fifth white or the fifth running back on this roster. He's going to lose a camp battle to Wendell Smallwood. That's what they believe. They said that right now the locks are Howard, Sender, uh, excuse me, the locks are Howard, Sanders, and Corey Clement. And his competition right now is Wendell Smallwood. Oh, Clement. I always forget about Corey Clement. So they don't even know that he's going to make the roster. But this is this is a perfect example, a perfect example. At one point, Josh Adams had value, whether it was a late first or an early second or whatever you could squeeze out of him. It's not a late first. I don't know. I don't know what kind of leagues. You're never getting a late first for Josh Adams. What are you talking about? I don't know what kind of leagues you play in. Here's the thing. No Jordan Howard was there yet. They hadn't drafted Miles Sanders. I mean, there was a time where Josh Adams looked like the next man up and he was playing successfully. So maybe not a first. Second rounder, maybe. All right, we'll agree to disagree on the first. There's no disagreeing. You have to agree with that. Yeah, we're agreeing to disagree. I do not. No, not on this show. Not here, not now, not ever. First rounder for Josh Adams. Fuck out of here. I'm digging my heels in over three spots. But the point is... The guys that didn't draft, that didn't trade him, the guys that held on to Josh Adams through all this, Woof. you totally fucked yourself completely. He has no value at this point. I mean, what? What? Nobody's buying him because he may not even make the roster. And when he gets dumped, I, I, you know, maybe somebody picks him up. He played well enough that I'm sure another team would use him to add depth to their roster. 
the Eagles have a lot of good running backs in his backfield, more or less. So I don't know, man. His time may be up in Philly. The worst thing that happens is they keep him as the fifth running back. That's the worst case. Oh, no. That would be. Stop it. That's the worst. But I agree with you. I, I would rather have Mike Davis. I would rather have Josh Adams. But I think that Jamal Williams right now, right now is the number two in Green Bay. Right now. Not for long. Dexter Williams can obviously push him with his profile. And, and I believe by 2020, he at a minimum, he has taken the job away from Jamal Williams. Aaron Jones is obviously very good. We've talked about this before. Um, but I would prefer... I would prefer to have Jamal Williams as the third back in Green Bay versus obviously Josh Adams as the fifth running back in Chicago. Or excuse me, the fifth running back in... But Josh Adams gets caught. He goes to Tampa. He goes to Miami. Sure, totally. He goes to a team with a thin running back depth chart. All of a sudden, new life breathes into Josh Adams. This is how it goes with the NFL running back. This is their life. It's terrible. Look at James Conner last year. James Conner came out of obscurity, and now he's being drafted in the late first round in Dynasty Startups. He's the man in Pittsburgh. He is. At least we think he is. There's no chance that James Conner is the next Thomas Rawls, right? He's actually really good, and he has nothing to worry about, even though Jalen Samuels is more athletic and better in the passing game, and the Steelers drafted Benny Snell. He has nothing to worry about, right? Nothing to see here with James Conner, right? Here's here's the issue with James Conner. Boy, this is this is a good one. I don't think he's the next Thomas Rawls because I believe his sample size has at least somewhat validated what he can do. But I will say this about James Conner. Some players are just a great fit in the offense that they're in. Some guys end up in an offense that they weren't successful with and maybe in a multi-universe on a different roster, they would have had success. Wait, you're busting out multiverse on this show? That's right. We're going multiverse here. Wow! Somewhere out there. Look at you! I've been saying for years that you're <laughs> actually smart. I don't want to leak too much of this. I want to make sure that my role is maintained. But look, man, in Pittsburgh, it's a great fit. Running backs are successful here. We've seen D'Angelo Williams play great. Le'Veon Bell play great. There's few running backs that have played in this backfield that did not do well. And they didn't really add anybody as competition. He ranked inside the top 15 or top 20 in most advanced rushing metrics. I mean, he was number 38 in yards created, which isn't great, but they didn't add anybody. We already knew that Jalen Samuels was A, a good athlete, and B, a good pass catcher. We knew that about him. So, yeah, he may eat into the passing game a little bit. And maybe a little bit in the run game. But I think without an injury, this is James Conner's backfield. I hope you're right, man. I'd still prefer Sonny Michelle. He beat cancer. That's right. I want James Conner to be great. But he's not athletic. And the word out of Pittsburgh is that they are experimenting with the two-back set to get Jalen Samuels on the field. And there's a tinge of nervousness about James Conner. I don't feel great about it. I just don't. And I think the Benny Snell pick is a mild concern, but I wouldn't consider James Conner a loser from the NFL draft. Pittsburgh goes out and drafts Miles Sanders. That's when you would consider him a loser. Nothing like that happened. Benny Snell is not in the same multiverse. <laughs> hey, there you go. There you go. <laughs> As Miles Sanders or even David Montgomery. So not a loser. But speaking of losers... Have you been watching the Dynasty Drones just lose their mind rushing to cape up for 
Jake Anderson over the last few weeks? Yeah, I, I have. I had to go into hiding. It got so bad. I, I, I felt fearful for you and to a lesser extent me. I am never afraid of people being annoying on social media. It just doesn't affect me. I have been inoculated to that behavior. But I am seeing fools rushing to social media to tell on themselves, right? Oh, what you said was out of context. Oh, you're lobbing personal attacks on a respected member of the community. Okay, no and no. Nothing was taken out of context. We provided all the context. And if someone wants to take it personally, they can. But it was not a personal attack. We don't do personal attacks on the show. We critique takes. We critique behavior. Those are the things that we criticize, not personal traits. We called a bad tweet what it was. But Nate, Nate, he has a wife and daughter, mm. right? That makes him immune to mansplaining. No one with a wife or a daughter would do that, right? Obviously. That's sound logic, right? Obviously. No, no, no. That's, that makes sense. He's a good person, man. Good people never make mistakes, right? Right? Oh, yeah. This is all sound logic, right? When you see individuals rush to the defense of someone, the hyper-defensive behavior is the hive telling on itself. FBI agents talk about this. I know someone isn't telling the truth. When instead of addressing the accusation, they immediately call for character witnesses. Oh, Jim will tell you I would never do that. Guilty. <laughs> like FBI agents have talked about this exact behavior. And that's what we were treated to on Twitter, right? Just a relentless call for character witnesses and calling me names. Isn't that pretty much what you saw on social media the last few weeks? I believe more or less that's what took place. It, things got a little rowdy. But it's all good publicity for me. That's what these drones don't seem to understand. That whenever the hive starts buzzing and calling out the at fantasy underscore mansion Twitter handle, outraged at something I said on some show, all that does is spark interest in me and the show. <laughs> it's the great paradox. Mm-hmm. Of outrage. Please be outraged. We will get more followers and more listeners from it. <laughs> you have fallen into my trap once again, Dynasty Drones. Podfather, Infinity, Dynasty Drones, zero. That is the <laughs> scoreboard of the show. That is the great publicity scoreboard that this show has been keeping. There is one person who really hates this show. What? Nobody hates this show. Oh, well, he's that guy who, in quotes, hates to give this guy any more exposure, but I have to compulsively defend my online friend who I've never actually met because I know one day Matt Kelly will burn me to the ground and I want to know that someone will defend my indefensible tweet or bad analysis, end quote. <laughs> that guy is Adam Hainsworth. Adam Hainsworth. He is the angriest drone in the Dynasty Hive, and everything he tweets is a win for us. Are you familiar with this Adam Hainsworth and his website, Fantasy Football Statistics? Yeah, I've heard of Andrew and seen the site. <laughs> the only thing I know him for is comically melting down on social media. <laughs> right? 
the latest is if any of my followers are patrons to this stain on the underpants of society. Oh, that's me, by the way. <laughs> Unfollow me now. Unfollow me. Uh oh. Oh, the martyrdom. The super effective online martyrdom of Adam Hainsworth. Great job, buddy. Really knows how to use this Twitter machine well. <laughs> the industry doesn't need this negativity and disrespect, especially pointed at someone like Jake. Do what's right here, guys. Yes, the character witness, Adam Hainsworth, caping up for his friend Jake, who is beyond reproach because he's a nice guy. <laughs> I don't actually know him. I only follow him on Twitter, but he seems really nice. And Matt Kelly said something mean to him. So now I'm going to be mean to Matt Kelly. And I'm going to go further than Matt Kelly's ever gone by actually calling Matt Kelly a name. Calling me the underpants of society or whatever the hell he said. <laughs> I already forgot it. It's just how unaffected I am by this stuff. It's just amusing. And I saw this tweet and I thought, I remember this guy. This guy has melted down before. And the patrons have brought this to my attention. The patrons are... The producers of the show. We're only doing this segment because the patrons have made it so. It's true. Patreon.com forward slash podfather. They go unearth these tweets. They post them on the forums under podcast topics. They stir the drink of Roto Underworld Radio and the Sonic Truth podcast. And if you care about the show and you want to participate in the production of this show, you should support us on Patreon. You're going to get a t-shirt in the process. You're going to get an extra show per week in the process. You're going to get questions about your fantasy team answered in the forums in the process. You're going to be able to join. You'll be able to join listener leagues in the process. All courtesy of the Podfather. You are very, very welcome. And the patrons brought this tweet to my attention. For only $5, you can get access to everything on fantasyfootballstatistics.com. Tools, data, articles, rankings, etc. Or an iPhone trade calculator app. How many iPhone trade calculators exist, Nate? Uh, one. The Dynasty Dominator is the only iPhone and Google Android app that I know of that includes a trade analyzer feature. It's one of many features. The price check feature, the player comparison feature are other powerful features, but not as powerful as the tools and rankings on fantasy football statistics. <laughs> Uh-oh. Whatever the hell that site is. But according to this tweet, it's an easy choice, right? Easy choice. You can have fantasy football statistics, or you can have a hamburger. <laughs> Somebody made that image. He literally tweeted a picture of his logo. Looks like a seven-year-old designed it using clip art and PowerPoint. Oh, no. Or the picture of a hamburger from Google Images. I mean, this guy is really sophisticated. With a full gallon of milk behind it. That's right. That's what he's comparing us to. Why would you need the Dynasty Dominator app when you could have this website that has no utility? The audacity to compare fantasyfootballstatistics.com to anything produced by Roto Underworld is comical. And of course, I replied to this when I had to reply. This is the first and only time I responded. And I tweeted, look at what this shitburger is tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> God. Right? Because he used a hamburger clip art in his tweet. Uh. The next thing you know, he's spiraling again on social media, lashing out in every direction. 
before finally giving himself an L in the most embarrassing millennial way possible. Oh, no. Get this, Nate. He faked a nervous breakdown. Oh, my God. Andy Hemsworth. No, it's true. He did it. He did the thing that has been talked about in some circles for those that take the biggest L's, but no one's actually gone this far. But he did. That's the ripcord that we talk about. It's the ultimate ripcord. I've gone crazy. (laughs) I can't take it anymore. I'm melting down. Help me. Get me off Twitter. (laughs) Get me off Twitter. He writes, hey, community, I need a major fantasy Twitter detox right now. The negativity is really putting me in a really bad place mentally. I look in the mirror and I just don't recognize the person I've become. (laughs) I can't finish it. I can't finish the tweet. (laughs) It's so pathetic. Uh. I just don't recognize the person I've become, Nate. Like if Twitter were a soap opera, if Twitter were guiding light, that's what this would be. It's bad. Melodramatic much? (laughs) (laughs) He's just laughing about it. He wins the award for most pathetic Twitter meltdown of all time. I was going to say just of the year, but I mean, I... I've never seen anything this bad. Have you? Ah, uh, not on not on this level. I mean, I've I've never seen this before, but I also don't follow Alex Hemsworth, so I don't know much about him. <laughs> I try to understand why he's so obsessed with the Podfather and Player Profiler, sinking into like a swamp of bitterness, man. It's just this weird obsession. Right? It's like the movie The Fan. Great movie. I'm always the Wesley Snipes character in every movie, of course. (laughs) But I figured out what's going on. I finally figured it out. This is an unprecedented level of bitter resentment. And I know why. Because his website failed. And failure sucks. But in this case, failure was inevitable. Because he created something no one needed. I mean, you can see him like coming up with the idea. I I got the idea. We're going to change the fantasy world. We're going to go harvest football stats that are already widely available and then make them harder to access. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do what fantasydata.com has already mastered. So fantasy data already exists. It's a wildly successful business. Fantasy football statistics, not as good and not as successful. Like it's over. You're not going to build a better fantasydata.com. They squatted on that real estate and then they executed at a high level because you always have that first mover advantage, but then that first mover advantage fades away if you don't execute. Well, fantasydata.com executed. So if they're going to be first and they're going to execute, you can't compete. Just fold up the tent, man, and go camp somewhere else. But then he's like, well, I know what they don't have. They don't have coach data. So let's spend a hundred hours associating player stats with coaches. And fantasy gamers will love that, right? Because fantasy gamers love falling into coach correlation traps. Nate, is there anything fantasy gamers like more than coach-centric analysis? I stay up night and day thinking about the corollaries between coaches and players. It consumes me. Except coach correlation data makes people dumber. The only time I've ever seen this fantasy football statistics site referenced is when some uninformed non-talent 
was confusing cause and effect and recommended fantasy gamers avoid George Kittle because of Kyle Shanahan's lackluster history tight end production. Oops. That analysis was put out into the world last year, referencing fantasy football statistics data. I was like, oh, this is just perfect. So let me get this straight. No one needs the data you're providing. And the functionality you're providing actually makes people bad at fantasy football. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And it's all fine, man. It's all fine. If you love associating player performances with coaches and and you love jumping down that coach correlation rabbit hole and that's fun for you, that's fine. That's fine. Go chase that rainbow, right? But this Hainsworth character, he calls me names on social media and he disparages the body of work of an army of smart, hardworking people that worked for years to create something that is somehow not worth $5 to him. And that's all fine. I can handle criticism. But what I object to is being critiqued and diminished by someone with no credentials. Like It would be one thing if the website or the app received criticism from someone who develops successful websites and apps for fantasy football. This is their job. Then I would pay attention to that person. Then their opinion would hold weight. They're more than just a know-nothing calling people names on social media. But the bottom line is this particular buzzard is just a desperate hobbyist with no background in data science or web design. And it shows he just took data that already exists elsewhere and formatted it worse. It turns out being an internet entrepreneur isn't as easy as the pod father makes it look. (laughs) I do. I make this look easy and I'm not sorry. And if that leads someone to launching a soon to be failed website, so be it. (laughs) God damn. And then that person lashes out at me on an endless loop on social media. It's perfect. The circle is complete for anyone that finds themselves in this situation. They chase this rainbow. They fall back to earth and ball of fire. (laughs) It's it's good. Picturesque. And spend the rest of their days just lashing out at me with bitter resentment. My advice is this. Rather than create some clunky spreadsheet on wheels that people point to and laugh at, and rather than ridiculously comparing that online trash can to playerprofiler.com, do the right thing and relinquish the fantasy football statistics domain because it is an eyesore on the internet. Ugh. Let the smart people focus on the stats and the tech, and you focus on being the best retail store manager you can be. Oh, my God. I feel like I hear a, a tornado siren going off in the backgrounds. Everyone get inside. <laughs> those are my thoughts on the matter, Nate. Ugh. The patrons wanted my thoughts on the matter. and Those are my thoughts on the matter. Those are my honest thoughts. This show provides a window into the inner workings of my brain without a filter. Oh, man. Those were my thoughts on the situation. By the time this episode drops, I wonder if uh, Albert Hainsworth is going to, whatever his name is, is going to change his website and it'll just be parked by GoDaddy. We'll see. (laughs) Maybe Walter Football will buy it. (laughs) Who would buy that? I don't know. So the Sparts and Boners League that I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Great segue. Good name. We had a startup, right? And 
I can pick up a couple extra guys for the taxi squad. And I prefer to roster rookie running backs post-startup. That's my tactical approach to curating my taxi squad. Because taxi squad curation is a big deal. Once upon a time, Adam Thielen was a taxi squad stash. Very recently, Damian Williams was a taxi squad stash of mine. I don't know if you could tell, but Matt Waldman and I stash very different players on our respective taxi squads. Take us out on rapid fire. Yay or nay to the following taxi squad stashes. Are you ready? Oh my, I don't I don't know. I'm going to do my best. Easy one to start. Yay or nay, stash Bryce Love. Woo! Um, I would like to say, yes, I want to stash Bryce Love because of 2017. We're five months removed from an ACL tear. The depth chart has Geis, Peterson, Thompson, Marshall, P. Ryan. I don't think they're going to hold all these running backs, but uh, I, I would hold Love because 2017 was an awakening. 2017 put Bryce Love on a trajectory to be a top three running back in this class before he pulled a Matt Breida, really, completely flaming out in his final season in college, inexplicably, just inexplicably flaming out and tearing his ACL the end of the year. If he comes back healthy from this ACL, we don't know whether he's athletic or not, but if he is a Matt Breida-level athlete with an upper percentile dominator rating and if he is slick in the passing game, then the Darius Geis-Bryce Love one-two punch in Washington will be very, very interesting. And the mega producers in college that are missing the athleticism piece of their profile are the ideal stashes for Dynasty Leagues. You agree? Yes, absolutely. I wanted to lead off with Bryce Love just because he perfectly fits the archetype that you want to stash. Ty Johnson, stash him. I mean, I know you're a big fan of him. Uh, he's in a decent spot long term. The only guys in front of him right now, and this will probably change with contracts, are Riddick, recently C.J. Anderson, and Zenner. And then, of course, Kerryon Johnson, who's playing well. And recently, Detroit came out and said that they want to apparently commit to the run. Despite the fact that passing is God, uh, they're committed to the run big time. They're committed to turning back the clock in Detroit. That's right. But Ty Johnson can blaze. Ty Johnson runs a 4-4-5. Yep, yep. That's corrected. He ran a 4-4 flat at his pro day. Mm. I mean, that's impressive. This guy's impressive. I, I, I like this Ty Johnson guy. He's impressive. <laughs> that's, that's not bad. Not a bad impression. I'm impressed. He has the great yards per carry. He's the great speed. He's a great complement to Kerryon Johnson. He's certainly the fastest running back on the Detroit Lions. Right? It's not a difficult achievement. Not at all. It's a very low bar. <laughs> Talking about Karrion Johnson and C.J. Anderson and Zach Zetter. Theo Riddick's not fast. Ty Johnson could carve out a role as early as this year. The Detroit Lions went out and tried to sign Malcolm Brown as a restricted free agent, and the Rams matched. So we shouldn't be surprised if we find out that the Lions are not as committed to Karrion Johnson as fantasy gamers are this season. Mm -hmm. And if that is the case, that running back depth chart will be softer and easier for Ty Johnson to climb than it may appear on the surface. Travis Homer. Oh, baby. That's right. Seahawks. You are a homer for Travis Homer. 
You're a Travis Homer homer. I am a Travis Homer homer. Here, let's let's talk about this for a second. So the obvious things taking place in Seattle, Chris Carson 1A, Rashad Penny 1B. That's the way I like to believe it is right now. The only person I feel like Homer needs to get past is J.D. McKissick, which I believe he can, but it's somebody that Seattle has trusted. But look, when you look at Seattle's history, they've tried to get the third down pass catching running back to work. Before C.J. Proceis, they tried it with Fred Jackson. The C.J. Proceis thing did not work out. I think that Travis Homer has the speed, and he's one of the youngest backs, if not the youngest back in the class, still under 21 years old. He is the youngest running back in this 2019 draft class. Youngest back in the class. And then when you go back to his college production, he averaged almost 11 yards per reception in college. 37 receptions over his final two years in Miami, not on a full workload over there. So I think this is a guy that's dynamic enough with the athleticism to go to Seattle and find some room to work. I know that the two backs that they have in front of them, the bigger backs, have a capability of pass catching. But I think Seattle's going to want the versatility to go to a back like Homer, get him in the field, and open some things up. So I I like him. He's a stash for sure. He's a less expensive version of Justice Hill, is he not? Absolutely. Justice Hill, explosive, 200-pound satellite back. Travis Homer, explosive, 200-pound satellite back. Both tethered to mobile quarterbacks. Mobile quarterbacks do not check it down as often as the statuesque quarterbacks because they can always scramble out of trouble instead of dumping it off. So neither Justice Hill nor Travis Homer should expect to command a significant number of targets in any given season, but both have the ability to one day become primary backs in the league. It's a rare thing that a 200-pound back receives primary back touches, but last year Matt Breida did it in San Francisco. When he was healthy, Matt Breida was the primary back, and he's 200 pounds. In fact, Travis Homer is best comparable to Matt Breida. So for a lot of reasons, you're stashing Travis Homer in Dynasty Leagues. How about Mike Weber? The most disappointing landing spot of all. Oh, man. It's a a tough spot to go. I mean, number one, you're behind a top three back in Dynasty who's 23 years old and Ezekiel Elliott. So that's strike one. Strike two is the fact that you're, you know, he, he's got similar draft capital to Darius Jackson, who only had one year of production, is over 25 years old. That's fine. But also, you've got Tony Pollard there, a guy who had 104 receptions over three years at Memphis. Yeah, Tony Pollard could be Miles Sanders if Saquon Barkley didn't declare early. What would Miles Sanders be if Saquon Barkley stayed in school for an extra season? <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. Well, that's what happened to Tony Pollard, is that Daryl Darrell Henderson stayed in school. And if Daryl Darrell Henderson's on the team, you're not going to command a lot of carries because he's the most efficient running back in the history of college football. (laughs) So good luck being better than that guy. So if anyone has a reason for anemic production at the college level, it's absolutely Tony Pollard. But Mike Weber is the primary backup to Ezekiel Elliott because he has the size to be a primary back in the league, where Tony Pollard is absolutely a satellite back. Tony Pollard is the satellite back that the Cowboys have been chasing going all the way back to Lance Dunbar. Mm. I believe Mike Weber is the handcuff to Ezekiel Elliott, and I know he experienced a minor knee injury in camp. That's not a big deal. So he misses some mini camp with a bruised knee or a slightly strained knee. As long as he's healthy, the start of training camp, training camp, that's all you need to worry about. You shouldn't be cutting... Mike Weber from your taxi squad because he experienced a minor knee injury in minicamp. Why the obsession over minicamp injuries? I don't understand it. 
Big deal. He's still he's still under 22 years old also, so relatively young player in this draft class. Yeah, and he, like Tony Pollard, like Miles Sanders, yeah. competing with an exceptional talent yep. in the backfield at the college level. Yep. So there's reasons to like Mike Weber. I don't understand how he slipped to the seventh round. Clearly NFL teams think he lacks wiggle or vision or some nonsense, but we'll see. We'll see. Player that's 5'10", 211 pounds with a 105.7, 82nd percentile speed score, best comparable to Marlon Mack, is absolutely stash-worthy. He's an injury away from being the primary back on the Dallas Cowboys, one of the signature run-first offenses in the league with one of the better run-blocking offensive lines. Yes, please. Now it gets interesting. Mm. Hit me. Kadre Olison. Ah. Fifth-round pick by the Atlanta Falcons. What the hell were they thinking? I don't know. I don't know. Are you stashing him? Yes or no? I mean, to be honest with you, this might be one of the most wide open depth charts, excluding Devonta Freeman. Well, I'm worried about Devonta Freeman, so I'm not. I'm not against you here. I'm totally with you. What's interesting about Freeman, and a lot of people probably think he's been playing for a hundred years. I mean, if you exclude the the two years, his his first year and this last year, he's got three seasons in the NFL. So he's got five total seasons in the NFL. The first one and the last one have less combined than 80 carries. Really, he's got three seasons in the NFL. He's 27 years old. He's been wildly productive when he's been healthy. Health is a concern. I'm with you. I don't know that. Terrified. I'm not sure that Allison, I, I mean, I would stash him in the event that his opportunity comes and we can trade him, but he's not the long-term answer here. What about his teammate at Pitt, Darren Hall? How did Olison get drafted, but Darren Hall go undrafted? How did that happen? They don't know what's going on, man. They just uh, they don't know what's good for him. I, there must have been there must have been a reason that the Falcons saw something in Olison. I don't know what the difference is between him and Hall. What do you mean? Hall's better. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, Hall is the better. Don't player. you believe Hall's better? Absolutely, Hall's a better player. Is Hall stash worthy, even though he's undrafted? Because you hate players that are undrafted, Nate. You despise them. I hate players that are undrafted. Get him out of here. You hate undrafted players almost as much as Adam Hainsworth hates the podfather. I think I hate them less than he hates you. That's what I said. Oh, you, you said I hate them less than he hates Yeah, he hates you more. Right. I said almost as much. Yeah, I don't listen to the show. This is going in the outtakes because you're not listening. I want this to be a tight show. This is going in the outtakes. I beat you to that. So Darren Hall going to the Bengals. So let's talk about this. Let's let's talk about being buried for a minute. So he's on the Cincinnati Bengals, arguably behind Joe Mixon, who's not going anywhere. Jill Bernard, who may or may not go anywhere, but for now, he's not ahead of him. You got Travion Williams, Rodney Anderson, and then at the very back of the line is Darren Hall. You just have to hope that he gets cut and lands in Tampa. That's what you have to hope for with these guys because he has the upper percentile agility. He was productive at the college level, active in the passing game. He has the size. I don't understand. Every year, there's a handful of running backs that look the part of a successful primary back in the NFL, and the NFL just isn't interested in them for whatever reason, and I just have to walk away scratching my head. And Darren Hall is that guy this year. Absolutely. What happened? What, what didn't happen there? Alex Barnes also went undrafted. How the hell does Alex Barnes go undrafted after he had the most successful combine of any running back? 
truly the sweetheart of this draft class. What did happen to Alex Barnes? You know, it's hard to say. This is a guy that we were big fans of uh, after he tested. I mean, 153.6, 99th percentile Spark X score. Oh, I know what happened. He comped to Zach Zenner. That's that's where the wheels came off. Do you think the NFL teams are so obsessed with player profiler, even more obsessed than Adam Hainsworth, that they were scared off by the Zach Zenner comp? Yeah, that's what did it. When they saw the Zach Zenner comp, they were hands off. But, okay, in all seriousness, we talked about this in the offseason, which we're still in apparently. I don't know why I said that. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Moving on. Point is, 20 receptions for a guy that is six foot. 226 is impressive. I mean, a guy with this athleticism, those hands, you know, he went to the Tennessee depth chart. He's behind a running back. That's not a bad depth chart. That is a sneaky, friendly depth chart for Alex Barnes because there is no number three running back of consequence. He slots right in behind Derrick Henry, one Derrick Henry high ankle sprain, and it's game on for Alex Barnes. Uh, yeah, I mean, and hey, 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 wait a minute. He's the fourth running back on this depth chart. You left off Jeremy McNichols. <laughs> Damn it. I think your flag is still planted in him. You might want to pull it out. That was a flaming spear you just threw at me, not a flag. <laughs> Something. I am charcoal. I like Alex Barnes, man. If you're going to chase the workout metrics on a player, it's got to be a running back. You don't want to chase the workout metrics on a wide receiver. It's often a false flag. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, there you go. With the running backs, you chase the athleticism. Yeah. I would pay a lot of money to get behind the scenes in NFL front offices and understand how guys like Alex Barnes go undrafted. It's just so vexing and something I think about all the time. I love you, Alex. Rest in peace. Love you, Alex. Rest in peace. I guess that's a show. That'll be a tight show. He knows that him tweeting is a win for me, but he just can't help himself. He can't take it. There's no way he can hear the show and not react. He's got no other option, man. These people are slaves to Twitter because it's the only way they can communicate with the outside world. It's like they're one phone call in jail. You look younger. Did you shave or something? What's going on? I got some sun. I guess. That might be what it is. Yeah, I look great. Yeah, things have really worked out for you <laughs> since the last time I saw you. It's fantastic. It just keeps getting better over there. Yeah, I look great. I don't know who this guy is. I mean, I don't know who Adam Hainsworth is. Adam Hainsworth? <laughs> I don't know who he is. I think Adam Hainsworth is brilliant. Might break that out live. The drones are after me, man.
I know. The drones are coming after me. I'm happy to absorb all this exposure and introduce new people to the show. I'd love to start a club of those that found the show because someone was complaining about it and then fell in love with it. It could be a whole spinoff. I'd love to set up a, a, a retreat with those people like in Cabo. Like Those people and me in Cabo will just hang out. I'd love to talk to them about how their journey to finding the Sonic Truth podcast through negative means. People aren't happy, and, and the drones, they do not sleep. The Dynasty Hive is always buzzing. I've found that to be the case. The Dynasty Hive never sleeps. Nope. And they have to complain about something. You, you can never know. You never know when they're, when they're going to get agitated and the drones are going to start flying out of the hive. You never know. They have to be spinning very fast inside that hive before the drones start flying out. Stingers engaged. I never know. I was surprised that criticizing a bad tweet from Jake Anderson is what did it. That shocked me. And the only thing I object to is this idea that I'm going too far, that I'm making it personal. It's not personal. I criticized a bad tweet. We criticize behavior on this show. It's never personal at all. I don't know Jake Anderson. He could be lame. He could be cool. I don't care. He could be nice. He could be an asshole. I don't care. That's not the point. That tweet happened, and he refused to apologize. And rather than addressing the tweet, instead, he has reached out to his friends in the industry and said, well, you got to have my back. And let's go talk about everything except my mansplaining, and we'll just accuse Matt Kelly of personal attacks. That's the only aspect that generates an eye roll from me, is when you mischaracterize my words, my behavior. It's not personal, man. It's not personal. Wish you all the best. Be better on Twitter. <laughs> That's it. It's very simple. They come in waves. What do you do, you know? What do you do? I've explored the roots of this, and when you jostle the hive with any accusation of sexism or racism, that creates maximum agitation. They get very defensive. And my response to that is, well, why are you so defensive? Why the defensive posture in this case? What's going on with you, white man, right? The white men get very agitated and are quick to cape up for their friends when there is even a whiff of sexism or racism involved. That's the third rail. And I'm willing to grab a hold of that third rail and let the electricity surge through my body. And it must be so frustrating that these drones can tweet endlessly, just a torrent of tweets, and it has no impact. In fact, I only get edgier. <laughs> the show only gets more aggressive. It's like, this isn't working? What? We can't silence his voice. We can't modify his behavior in this free country. Damn it. When we tried to shame his friends on social media, that's not working? Oh, we're powerless? This stinks. <sighs> yeah, and it all goes back to one thing. Be better on social media. If you just were better on Twitter, we'd have a problem. They all, they all come in a group. It's like when people go to the bathroom together, you know? Everybody heads in a group to watch each other's back and gossip. You go in the bathroom and whatever it is that takes place in there, I tend to go alone. You mean the, the white men paranoid of any whiff of sexism or racism? Pickpockets. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that too, I guess. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't carry a wallet anymore. Uh, yeah, man, I, I was getting it too. I'm obviously not as bad as you. I mean, you are, you are the fire. A lightning rod. 
for criticism in fantasy football. Right, you're that uh, you're that firework that somebody threw into the brush that started the uh, the forest fire. That was you, but it was more than a little firework. It was like a uh, like an entire fireworks display. And I track my followers. My followers only go up. My count rises. You have all these individuals claiming to have unfollowed me as my follower count rises. How is this possible? Because. It's not enough that they just quietly unfollow me. They have to unfollow me and then announce to the world they're unfollowing me. And that announcement creates more followers for me. <laughs> just just hashtag blessed. They don't get it. I mean, again, you follow this back to the source. It's people being bad at Twitter and the symptoms continue. They're trying to make up for the fact that they were exposed as being bad at Twitter by being even worse at Twitter. You gotta be bad at something. They're really bad at it. I mean, these people are awful at it. Twitter's a tough tool. It's not just that they're bad, they're pathetic. It'd be one thing just to be bad, like Magic Johnson's bad at Twitter. He's just tweeting the box score. He's just tweeting the schedule. He's the one guy still just tweeting what he's eating right now. Remember when we first got on Twitter in 2011? That's what people were doing, trying to figure out what the hell is this thing called Twitter. Well, Magic Johnson's still doing that stuff. He's just really bad at it. And it's gotten to the point now where it's so bad it's good. It's actually funny. He's leaning into it. There's nothing funny about these Dynasty drones. They're just pathetic. They could have had a sense of humor about this. There was comedy to be had here, but this is not the space for that. Very little comedy to go around. No. No. They suck the life out of comedy. Very serious all the time. That's alright, man. I probably lost more followers than you did. I netted followers. I always net followers in beefs. Always, 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 always. Because they can't help themselves. They have to broadcast my Twitter handle to the world. They can't help themselves. They're such idiots. I mean, it's, honestly, I'm sorry. It's just, I know. It's just idiots. That's why people are like, who the, who the fuck is this guy? Click on your profile, read a little bit. Oh, he looks pretty cool. I'll give him a follow. Look at that werewolf with a martini glass. Yeah, let me check him out. What's everyone complaining about? Well, let me let me see for myself. Nah, I'll give him a follow. <laughs> yeah, I'll give him a follow. <laughs> <laughs> give, give, what, what's the worst that could happen? They chase this rainbow. They fall back to earth and ball of fire. <laughs> it's, it's good. Picturesque. Go chase that rainbow. Water sports are dangerous, Matt. We will get more followers and more listeners from it. <laughs> You have fallen into my trap once again, Dynasty Drones. My whole life is in fucking shambles right now, bro. Why? I just work to the bone. I'm the equivalent of the straw that stirs the drink where I'm at. I just have to be freaking everywhere all the time. So maybe Walter Football will buy it. Podfather, Infinity, Dynasty Drones, zero. That is the scoreboard of the show. I think I hate them less than he hates you. First rounder for Josh Adams. Fuck out of here. You are the fire. And if that leads someone to launching a soon-to-be-failed website, so be it. <laughs> God damn. The deep comeback where he took 17 steps. Yes. Some people look at that and they think, oh, wow, look at that. What a great route. Other people look at that and go, that's a terrible route. That's film grinding. Nobody knows. It's subjective. I have my tear ducts glued shut at like age nine. Josh Adams had the starting role. Josh Adams has died. Dead. 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 He used a hamburger clip art in his tweet. 
Oh my god, Andy Hemsworth. Bing, 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 bing. What about Ryan Grant? What about Chester Rogers? You are the fire. Wait, you're busting out multiverse on this show? Look at you! I've been saying for years that you're actually smart. I don't want to leak too much of this. I want to make sure that my role is maintained. I, I, I like this Ty Johnson guy. He's impressive. He's stronger than Tariq Cohen and more powerful than Dion Lewis. <laughs> I hate players that are undrafted. Get him out of here. Calling me the underpants of society or whatever the hell he said. I think your flag is still planted in him. You might want to pull it out. That was a flaming spear you just threw at me, not a flag. I am charcoal. Yeah, I don't listen to the show. This is going in the outtakes because you're not listening. I want this to be a tight show. This is going in the outtakes. I beat you to that. I love you, Alex. Rest in peace. You're a Travis Homer Homer. I am a Travis Homer Homer. He beat cancer. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I like this Ty Johnson guy. He's impressive.